Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. This show is produced by the Powell Group, the leading business consulting firm in the gaming industry. Visit us online at IndieGame.Business to learn about our online digital events. We have some amazing sessions with people in the gaming industry, and you can participate for free and purchase inexpensive passes to our industry-leading business-to-business system. Now, here we go, Indie Game Business. What's up, everybody? My name is Indy, and the gentleman right there, right next to me, that's Mr. Jay Powell from Powell Group Consulting, and this is Indie Game Business. And today we have Leslie Sullivan, otherwise known as the famous streamer on TikTok. <laughs> yeah, you can see it's scrolling underneath there right now. It's at uh, famous underscore streamer. And I don't know what we're talking about, Jay. We're just <laughs> we just like grabbed her off there and said, "Come on, talk with us." I'm just like, hey, look, her name's famous streamer. We should get her. We should get her. Um, so Leslie, welcome to the show. And it's always great having you know production folks on here, and so we can always learn a little bit about everything else. So, one, how did you actually end up getting the famous streamer? name on TikTok. It's one of those that I would have figured had been grabbed a long time ago. Uh, I was shocked. Yeah. Um, it, the name itself came from a, a 2016 pa PAX East, where uh, I'm pretty sure this was like some guy's pickup, like go-to pickup line uh, for anybody who would pass by whatever booth they had. But he was going around asking people, Are you famous streamer? Are you famous streamer? And he did it to me. And then I, I, was, I went back to like our, our booth and I was like, there's some guy over there asking, like, at, who asked me if I was a famous streamer. And then immediately, like, without missing a beat, a coworker goes, oh, my gosh, Leslie, the famous streamer. And then ever since that, I, I can't live it down. It's carried, it's been, it's been with me through various studios. Um, and uh, when I was thinking about, like, what I needed my handle to be for, for TikTok, uh, one of my friends was like, you should try famous streamer. And I, I was like, no, there's no way that that's still available. And lo and behold, <laughs> Uh, it, was. it was there. <laughs> so, so actually, the big question is: Have you ever streamed before? I have not. <laughs> <laughs> I have never streamed. Um, nope. That's that's. That, and I don't know if I ever will because of that. <laughs> that's why she's famous. I mean, she's right. famous might 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 she be famous? Famous athlete then. <laughs> <laughs> So we always like to start because these are always the most interesting stories. Tell us how you actually got into the industry and walk us through your career, you know, up to this point without naming names that are going to get you in trouble with court. Okay, um, sure. So I got my start. Um, uh, I was in college my senior year, and I had a family. I have a family friend who was in this in the industry, and I always loved video games growing up. Like that was it's a huge part of my my childhood. Um, consistently playing games always. Um, but I didn't think that was like a viable career for me. I was in school for psychology. I wanted to be a shrink. Um, but I just, I saw that I had a, a friend who worked at a game studio and I reached out to him and I was like, can you tell me what it's like uh, working, uh, you know, at, at the, we were at Riot, um, working at Riot. And uh, just how did you, how did you get there? Because he had also studied psychology in school too. Um, and I was under the impression that Anybody who wanted to get into the industry had to uh, like study computer science or engineering or something. Um, and this was like 13 years ago or 11 years ago now. So 
there weren't as many robust like college programs uh, for for game design or anything. Totally different landscape now. So I reached out and he was like, oh, you know, you want to come take a tour? I uh, would love to show you around, just give you an idea of what the environment's like. So I went there uh, just on the basis of like checking out the office and seeing what it's like. And while I was there, he mentioned that they were looking for people uh, uh, to join their customer support team. And I was like, yeah, that sounds great. Um, and that's how I got started. I ended up doing uh, like answering player tickets for League of Legends uh, for a couple of years. And then I expressed an interest in wanting to do narrative design. Um, and while I was in player support, we changed the name from customer service to player support at some point. Um, I was doing a lot of like project coordination within within that discipline. And uh, I had that experience uh, running programs within player support. And I took ended up taking that to narrative design where I was like a, a scrum master of sorts. Um, so I was like running standups and uh, keeping track of the tasks that we had to do uh, with, within the writing and narrative design team. Um, and eventually I started taking on more creative work. And so writing voiceover lines, attending um, voiceover sessions and providing direction, uh, writing bios, doing overall creative design for new champions, League of Legends. Um, eventually uh, I, I gave up a lot of the like project management and producer uh, duties while I focused more on the writing side of things. And um, I saw that we we had like a, um, a void <laughs> of that kind of presence on the team um, because we just didn't have like a dedicated producer for for our actual discipline. Um, and so I ended up making the like a formal switch into development management at Riot uh, so I could work on creative things as a dev manager. And a lot of that was like project management, um, making sure that we've checked every box and we know like how how we want to improve things in the future, running retrospectives making sure we have uh, like our contracts in place, things like that. Um, so I did that for a couple years. Uh, I went on to be a producer uh, at a couple of other studios and then switched the narrative design for, for a year and then did a hybrid in my previous role. And then now I am a design producer. Um, so it's still like a, it's a marriage of both things I really love doing. It's taking like the creative of, of design, uh, whether that's, you know, like level design or narrative design systems and then uh trying to provide like a very strong base uh with my production skills and making sure that they're successful uh and every once in a while i get to do more like the the creative design parts of things too so how did a degree in psychology and this is coming from a guy who has a degree in English literature. How did a degree in psychology help you prepare for managing people and projects as a producer? Um, I, I think a lot of it is just having read and learned a lot about what influences people, um, what's effective with people in terms of like learning or communication. Um, it's It's been very handy for me to know. I have to say, I, I probably don't remember most of the stuff I, I learned. You know? <laughs> Uh, I think one of the things that I learned in college is like you retain three percent of the information you learn. That's that's one of the things I re I remembered. Um, but uh, it, I think a lot of it is just like providing context when I when I talk to people um, or figuring out how they might work better with other people or anything like that. Um, and I I think it's been helpful in all of my roles. Like even when I was in player support, like answering tickets and trying to to work with players who 
often, you know, when they when they write into player support, they're not happy. Um, and trying to coach our teams in ways that would be effective uh, communicating with our players. Um, in even in like writing and their design, it's trying to like uh, establish characters that come from a specific place and uh, fleshing out that character from from that perspective, um, trying to figure out like what they might be feeling and how they might react. Um, and then even with yeah project management and facilitating things between teams and communication, uh, a lot of it is just trying to be super mindful of of how people are behaving and how we can like really tune into that and make people more effective together. And, and the League of Legends community is, I don't know, is notorious the right word I'm, yeah. I'm looking for here? <laughs> that had to be trial by fire to be, you know, here's your first community support role and, you know, here's how you deal with players. And, oh, by the way, it's the League of Legends players. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I think it was good for me um, because it, it is such a yeah notorious group of people. Um, it also was super humbling uh, seeing how like passionate our players were, um, what they cared about. Uh, I think it really set me up for success when it comes to like player empathy and wanting to do right by by players going forward in all of my roles. Like, what do they want? What's important to them? And what are they going to care about? Uh, I think if I didn't have that experience, I would probably be a, a worse producer. So before we get too far you know, in, into the production side, so let's talk about what you have done on, <laughs> on TikTok and these videos, which, you know, I, I lump in the lines of, you know, watching The Office, or lately my wife and I have been catching up on Superstore, which is, mm -hmm. you know, in my younger days, I worked at Walmart, and she deals with the public all the time, and we watch these shows because it's just like, it hurts <laughs> because it's true, you know, and it's like, you, you can see these things playing out, and so for, for those of you who don't know, you know, Leslie's got a whole series of videos on, on TikTok about situations with producers and sexual harassments and you know recruiting and all of these things that you know as someone in the industry you look at and you are you're just like oh my god and then you're like well that actually happens so it's not like she's making this shit up somewhere you know the <laughs> what was the inspiration for this and how did it start and, and walk us through that for a little bit sure um I guess it mostly started with, I, I love TikTok as a platform. Um, I, I I like to, you know, scroll through at the end of the day and, and it, it brings me a, a lot of joy and laughter. Um, and I really admire that platform. It's it's super easy. It's, it's very inspiring, I, I have to say, uh, to see like anybody in the world just be like, I'm just going to make like a 15 to sex, like second, uh, 60 second video and, uh, you know, get, thousands of people to see it and make them make them laugh or provide some some sort of entertainment um and i knew i was like i was enjoying uh, seeing all this content so it started with me um, like gravitating towards that specific uh platform and i i sat on this idea of of like i i would love to do some sort of of, of content relating to things that i know about and so it, at first it was like general maybe like millennial workplace culture and then uh, I was thinking more about maybe like it's, it's specific to game dev. And so I started off, uh, I'm also like, I'm into fashion. Uh, not that you can tell if it's just my plain black tee today. We, we are too. <laughs> but, uh, 
Um, and so I started off with making like outfit videos uh, because I, I love I love doing uh, that kind of thing too. And then uh, one day I felt inspired seeing a, a meme. I think the first uh, video game uh, TikTok I made uh, or like, sorry, game development uh, culture <laughs> TikTok I made was uh, inspired by this meme of a loading screen. And I think it uses like Fortnite music, uh, like menu music. And it's just you uh, you stand there and you, you rotate like this while using a green screen and then having loading tips. And so I just made that on a whim. And then that uh, didn't perform well on TikTok, but it did perform pretty well on, on Twitter, um, mostly because I'm, I'm sure it's like it's easier to share there to other people who would appreciate that, that kind of content. Um, and then I just kept on making ones in that same vein, you know, relating specifically to uh, 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 working in the games industry. And I enjoy it. I, I, I'm, I was a little worried at first of running out of ideas. Um, I don't think it's going to happen anytime oh, soon. If it's not my own like experiences to, to draw upon, then I've had plenty of people reach out and be like, can you do one on, on this? Or like, if you need any ideas, hit me up. And so, um, yeah, there's, there's plenty to come. <laughs> so how many of those situations did you are firsthand to you? You know, it's like, this actually happened. And so that's, are the majority of them that way or? Yeah, the majority are, I'm, I'm trying to think there's at least, um, I, I think there might be only one right now that was not specific to me, um, but it was inspired by something that happened to two very close friends of mine. Um, and so it's a little sad that <laughs> uh, uh, I, I do have this um, um, well of, of content uh, to draw from just from my own my own brain and memories, um, but I, I I don't know it's it's weird because like I'm at a point where I I can laugh about it I think it, I think it's funny and I think it's worth sharing um, and I'm trying to do it in a way that reaches a lot of people even people who are not a part of the games industry because I think a lot of these things can um, be like applied to to other other any, any sort of workplace right um, and uh, and kind of. I guess spread spread the word that way, it, and it is good because it does draw attention to you know issues that we see come up you know from something as I want to say mild manner as <laughs> you know having nobody reads your email the one I was watching the one this morning where it's like why did you sign off on this? It's like, because you told me to, and it's like I'm I'm sitting there and I'm like dying a little inside. I'm like because I've been in that position before and we all have and so it's it's a one of those things that you're just it, it's a it's a way of letting everybody know it's not just you you know there are yeah. other people that have to deal with this and so the, the next thing we need to do is just link to every single one of them and say okay this is how you overcome this you know problem and mm -hmm. all of a sudden now you're like an educated I mean educator and a role model yeah, I, I it kind of plays out that way in comments, um, uh, especially on TikTok specifically, um, where uh, especially like especially the ones that are or aren't like games industry specific. Uh, it, the comments are a fascinating place to look because someone will will complain about it or be like, "Oh, this happened to me at my job," and then they'll have a legitimate discussion within within that like comment thread about like, "Oh, well, you know what, you're." 
you should do this next time. And uh, if not, then it's time for you to, uh, to, to cut it out and, and just find a new job. Um, and so it's, it, it is interesting. There are some, uh, some really good discussions that, that can happen. Um, that's, I'm, I'm like, I'm happy. I'm happy. It's, it's evolving in that way. So what have you learned? I mean, obviously TikTok is a, a fairly new platform. It's not like super new, but what have you learned about, you know, how you can use this to your benefit? I mean, not coming from a, a brand and a marketing angle and, and how developers could potentially use TikTok as well. Um, the way I've seen it used, um, I do follow somebody who is making an indie game on there. Um, and we're like, we're mutual friends on, on TikTok, like the actual platform. And he will uh, provide updates on, for his indie game. And he does a lot of um, uh, community involvement. And so what it, it usually is, is like a video of latest update. And it's like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to do this thing where the, my followers and people who comment uh, can help contribute to my indie game. So like, let me know in the comments what kind of character you want uh, in, in, in this game or what do you want to see? And then he'll have the actual follow-up. And it's really cool. Uh, and so I think things like that, like you can do so much community engagement, um, like as a brand or as a game or as a studio um, in a way that's that's fascinating. Uh, and it's fun. <laughs> it's fun. It's easily like digestible. Um, and you, the ability to like reply directly to comments and have that be like the next video, I think is a super powerful tool. Um, from like a personal brand building exercise. Uh, yeah, it's been interesting because that wasn't my goal. Um, I was just kind of, I'm doing it for fun. And if it catches on, it catches on. Um, but now it's, it's, it's something I, I'm, I have to think about, <laughs> especially like with your, your comment earlier about how, um, it's a little painful and I never thought, I never thought I would be that person that, uh, causes like widespread pain, uh, <laughs> to, to folks. Um, but if they can also laugh and they don't, I guess, personally hate me for it, then. It's fine. <laughs> it's not a matter of, it's like if you were coming in and you had no experience in the industry and you were just like somebody making fun of the producers and the executives in this industry, it would be one thing. Yeah. But it's not. It's like you've been there. And I guarantee you, if the day comes when you ever run out of ideas, our Discord or, you know, Junie popped in a second ago. She runs the game production Discord. There is no shortage no. of <laughs> shit that we can talk about, you know, when it comes to random things that are on, you know, that, that producers have to deal with. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit for the, for the producers who are out there. You know, how do they not become one of the stars of, of your video? What are... <laughs> you know, some of those best practices, what are some of those basic things to, you know, avoid these situations? Um, for producers specifically, I think a lot of it is um, <laughs> learning to uh, resist um, throwing other people under the bus. Uh, because uh, I, I like, I'm, I'm serious. Uh, a lot of what I think we, we work with is like wrangling people, uh, making sure things are on track, on time. Um, things are communicated upwards and downwards. And I think there is a tendency to be like, oh, well, other people should know about their their deadlines and stuff too. Um, and not just me, the one like one producer on the team or something. Um, and that, I I don't know, you gotta take some responsibility if, if somebody, if your, your individual 
artist or somebody is like not uh, uh, providing what they need on time, um, I you have to take like a hard look at yourself and make sure you actually gave them the tools and that knowledge and like the ability to find that knowledge on their 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 own time of when things needed to to come on come online when things need to be checked in when they needed to get in front of people to get uh, proper approval. Um, and so I think like a lot a lot of what our job is as producers is, is education in terms of like, here's the pipeline and here's how you can uh, empower yourself to, to know what the steps are, when things need to happen. And, uh, you know, if they need to go do it on their own and you disappear for an undisclosed amount of time, then they will be successful. Um, but I, I find that like there there is a tendency to be like, ah, can't believe you didn't know that. Um, <laughs> and it just feels bad. <laughs> it feels bad if, if, you're, if your producer says that. Um, and so that, and I also say, uh, really trying to, to protect your team. So it's in the same vein. Um, but if, if your, your team is under fire or someone's just like, a stakeholder comes down and is like, why wasn't it done? Then you, ha you have to step up to the plate. Like you, you need to take ownership. Um, and uh, and really flex that muscle and be able to explain what happened, why it happened, and again, not not shifting the blame onto the individual contributor. Like, why is their fault? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, how do you walk that line effectively between being the shield and that buffer zone that you need to be between your team and you know whoever's further up the food chain? Mm -hmm. And being that taskmaster of you need to get this shit done so I don't have to constantly be your shield and your buffer. How do you how do you balance that? Um, I think a lot of it comes down to how how you talk with the individual contributors on your team and establishing your relationship with them. I'm not saying that you have to be like BFFs and that's that's how you 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 effectively communicate and um, make sure that they know everything is okay. Um, but really laying down the facts of like, this, this is the reality of our landscape. This is what we have to work with. Here are the expectations from the people up the food chain. Uh, and so now you have the knowledge to like, at least, even if it's still frustrating, right? Like a lot of these situations are still frustrating. Deadlines are tight. There's a lot of work to be done. Um, all the, all the same knowledge is being shared and they know it's not like, you as the producer being vindictive or or mean or anything like that, but like they 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 are also accountable to the people up the food chain. Um, so it is tough. I, I think it takes a bit of massaging, especially if you come onto a new team or you get new team members. Um, there is a bit of relationship building to do, uh, but as long as you understand like like how you're supposed to work together, what the role of a producer is on the team, um, and what like the expectations of that producer is in terms of protecting your team, and also delivering these deadlines um it can be effective but it's a lot of it's a lot of people management without being actual like capital m managers uh oftentimes I, f I find that that the producers on the team are not actual like they don't approve time cards or anything like that but they will lead like a spur like a specific uh pod or a specific like team of artists or designers or whatever engineers whatever it may be um, and, uh, a lot of that too is, is working with their, their individual managers as well to, um, check in and make sure, uh, that they're functioning well. So the, the production side of the industry is a little further along than 
the business and marketing side when it comes to education. So mm -hmm. you can go, there's like 500 some universities in the US that have some sort of game design degree, even mm -hmm. though all of us in the industry know exactly how useful that game design degree is when you come straight out of college. It's on par with an English or a psych degree. I would say <laughs> it's, you know, at least you have something in game, but there aren't a lot of universities that teach production skills. And so if you're coming out of school or you're going straight into the industry, what is a good way, you know, how do you go about learning the important stuff that producers need to do mm -hmm. when you're basically just tossed into the fire day one? And, and like, are there certain, you know, you moved up through the ranks, you know, starting with, with your first position in the industry. Mm -hmm. I remember back in, in my younger days, we would basically pull people from retail at GameStop and they would mm -hmm. become a tester or evaluator. And then in some cases within a month, we were like, okay, you're a producer. Congratulations. <laughs> there was no training at all. I mean, how has that changed if you don't have a specific, you know, degree or education in, mm -hmm. in these, this principle, how do you learn it? And are there particular roles you can get along the way to learn it? Um, fun fact, I used to work at GameStop as well. I lasted a whole six months before I called it quits. Um, but that was <laughs> this is also we, a job I used to have. <laughs> we literally hired so many people out of GameStop at, at one point that the manager of the store said, why don't you just hire me? And we did. So uh, <laughs> anyway, go ahead. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it's interesting. I feel like production is such like a... a it can be such a very weird area because you see producers with uh, super varied backgrounds. Um, a lot of people, um, I have a lot of colleagues who like were designers um, or were engineers and then made the move into uh, production. Um, a similar way that I have, I have flip-flopped between their design and, and production as well, um, where they will spend a, a set of time actually being an individual contributor in a specific discipline and then being like, I could help on the organizational side or like the process side or making sure we get the right tools done. Um, I, I would say, I think like if you have not had like a production coordinator uh, background before or project manager or anything like that, um, a, a good way to show on, on resumes. Um, and this is coming from um, somebody who, who sees a lot of like intern resumes and um, generally like, fresh faces to the industry uh any sort of of organization that you can display <laughs> uh in terms of volunteering at events and what were your responsibilities there what did you accomplish um any any in any job at all uh where you had to put projects together or programs like program management is a a nice segue into a game producer um is always super great to see um and uh yeah, you get, there's a, a variety of, of like certifications you can get. Um, you'll see a lot of people get their um, like agile uh, certification, um, any sort of like project management, the PMP or PMI um, are all good things to have. But honestly, I think I feel like there are a lot of, of jobs out there that lend themselves to being a producer. Um, it's all about how you, you sell it. And so any anytime you, you find yourself in charge of a group or a project of, of any size, you have to flex those muscles. And so a lot of it is just wrangling a schedule, 
setting milestones and um, making sure that the things that you are delivering are the things that you promised. Uh, and being able to talk about that is a good way to, to set yourself up into, into production, I think. Um, I'm, a, I'm a little like uh, out of, uh, uh, well, I don't, I don't know what the landscape looks like anymore for, for necessarily like going to school and going into like a specific uh, uh, major or, or minor. Um, and then what uh, what the process is to get hired into a like a production coordinator role immediately out of school anymore? Because um, I, I made it up too, right? Like I didn't even follow that specific yeah. path. Um, but I do I do see that happen too. Like people will go into QA or player support, and then they will start taking on um, I hate to call them like ancillary tasks, but they are. It's not just it's it's not just doing their primary role. It's going out of their way to to uh, uh, spearhead something else that would that would aid either their QA or player support work, and uh, eventually rolling that up into um, you know moving moving into another discipline. And a lot of times it's production. I mean, I could say from from our experience, what generally bumps somebody from QA and testing into producer, aside from the fact that we needed a warm body and there weren't any other warm <laughs> bodies, um, that's not really something you can promote of, of your methodology, but it was communication skills. It's yeah. Like, you know, if we got feedback on games and we weren't necessarily doing straight up QA testing for, for bugs and, and things like that, we were doing evaluation to see which games that we should represent as an agency and then later on publish as, as the publisher that we turned that into but it really boiled down to communication you know mm -hmm. how well could you articulate what you liked and disliked about this game and if there was feedback for the developers you know did it how far beyond oh this is good did it go you know mm -hmm. and that was one of the big things because i think that's the producers that i know in the industry and i've i've been a producer and i was an executive producer and i don't can ever want to go back to doing that again. <laughs> I mean, it was just like, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. But, you know, it really comes down to, you know, how you, like you said, manage and communicate with people, but then, you know, how detail oriented you were, because mm -hmm. when producers start, you know, missing milestones or rubber stamping shit coming through and not looking at it, that's when the problems you know, really, really start. Yeah. I've, I've found, um, especially, uh, more recently, a lot of the um, like good producer material uh, are when I have communication or like I, I have conversations with people in, in QA or player support um, and they come to me with a problem and they're like, hey, uh, the way X, Y, and Z is being run and coming in uh, is causing problems for us down the line. And here are some solutions that I think we could, we could um, implement in our process. And I'm just like, oh, yes. I, I love this. Thank you. Um, because it's way easier for me to, to be like, okay, that works for us too, than me having to like learn their entire process. Um, but to, to have somebody actually uh, do like that investigation up front and come to me with a solution, um, it's like way easier to, to work with. And uh, like, it's, it's a great experience. Um, and that's definitely something I look forward to. So for... For the smaller teams out there and, and the indie devs in general, you know, how important is it to have a dedicated producer on their project, especially if they're like, you know, five people? And, and can that producer have other roles or is it like you just have to be a producer and, and that's it? 
Um, I think it's it's highly dependent. Um, I would say most teams would benefit from having um, someone at least devote a, a, a large chunk of time to production, um, depending on the complexity of, of your, your game um, or your project. Uh, I, I think it's a it's a great way to uh, set uh, accountability <laughs> for for your team and make sure that um, you're not imposing uh, self-made blockers on it, like blockers to your own progress. And so I would say, and of course, I'm you know, as a producer, I would be like, yeah, absolutely, like <laughs> you should totally have a dedicated one. Um, I do think that somebody can do both, but it has to be very structured. Um, I think it's very easy to to shirk your responsibilities of either, say it's a lead designer, right, on a project. Um, it's very easy for you to ignore the production side of things because you're like, but I just need to get this this part of the game done. Like, I just need to get this level done. Um, and then completely forget about everybody else that you're working with and how they might run out of things to do because you didn't provide them the, the roadmap um, that you were supposed to get working on a week ago. Uh, and so I, I would say it's, it's possible, but it's a skill. Um, it's a lot of context switching. Um, but overall, yes, I think that, that teams benefit from one. Um, it's, it's also at some point you're going to have to deal with people outside of your own group. And it's, it's nice to have somebody have that kind of like uh, timeline deadline. What do we have to deliver to like publishers and all that kind of thing? Um, that has, that is, that will be somebody's. Uh, grueling job at some point. <laughs> it, all right, so you use the specific example that I always dread. You know, when it comes, think of game development like like D and D, and you have a split mm -hmm. class. Okay, mm -hmm. you're whatever designer and producer is dangerous because on one hand you are coming up with new systems and features and and things that are going to go into the game. On the other hand, you're the person that's responsible for getting this in the game and getting it on time. And so you basically are in a position where you can be creating your own feature creep instead mm -hmm. of blocking it. Have you seen that done successfully? Because all the examples that I have and all the experience I have with people who are designer slash producer, it's just like watching the tornado come down the road. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I have seen it done successfully, um, not in such a a uh, uh, I I have two distinct hats as producer and designer, um, but somebody who has enough experience to be a, uh, a like a senior designer and also understands the nuances of um, of production and like what they need to adhere to, why it, it benefits them, and then what they need to provide the people at. at certain steps of, of the development roadmap. Um, and the way I've seen that play out nicely is because that particular person will have had a lot of design experience, they they uh, they resist the, the scope creep <laughs> to begin with. They're like, I don't want to, no, <laughs> like I don't want to sign up for that. And so I'm going to make sure that everybody understands upfront that this is what we're going to deliver. This is the design document. Uh, if anybody comes in and it's like, you should add this too. And I will be able to back it up with engineering estimates and be like, we can't do that. Um, and so it comes, unfortunately, like, uh, like as we're, we were just saying, like, it's a skill. It's a, it's a learned skill. I think it is hard for people to do uh, starting out, but eventually you find out like how, how much of a nightmare it can be to, to do both and to be a designer and, and want, want everything. 
Um, that's a huge that's a huge motivator for me as somebody who was in narrative design and uh, now in production, where like working with creatives, um, people want to do it all, and that's awesome. Like that's so cool. Um, like we we want to we want to see all that creativity come to life, and we want to make their dreams come true, basically. But <laughs> there is a defined sandbox, and we need to find ways to um, compromise in a way that feels good, uh, and so. It's, it, I think a lot of it does come down to the experience. Are you looking for a publisher for your game? Well, we have something special just for you. It's the most comprehensive listing of PC, console, and mobile publishers in the industry. Over 700 companies sorted by platform with links to their websites. You can get the list at www.powellgroupconsulting.com slash publisher dash list. And you can get it for free. Check it out. I think that's wonderful that you have experience working with people who have managed that successfully because um, <laughs> generally it's the opposite case when I when I run into it. So if you're, no matter where you are out there, if you're listening on, on YouTube or Facebook or Twitch or Twitter or LinkedIn or wherever you are, if you've got questions about production and how you can be a better producer and things like that, pop them in chat. We'll, we, Leslie will answer them live for you. And, and Josh, I see your question. I'm not ignoring you, but it is a question more for us than Leslie. So we'll get to it at the end, but I, I'm not ignoring you. I haven't forgotten. You. <laughs> so for producers that are coming in that are either new or even like in that intermediate level of their career, what are some of the best skills and methodologies that they need to have in place and that they need to understand mm -hmm. at a high level, not necessarily getting into the weeds here, but, you know, at, at a high level. Sure. Um, the way I think about it is the the number one thing that producers of any level need to realize is that they are there to solve uh, very human problems. Um, I describe myself as a a self hating producer. Like I want to make sure that uh, my my end goal with any team I work with is that I am not necessary. Uh, that's that's my my end goal is that I <laughs> I help them get to a point where I don't need to be around anymore. Um, Sure, it doesn't mean well for my career, but whatever. But hey, other people will get better, so that's that's okay. It's totally worth it. There'll always be other teams out there for me to help. Um, but the the reality is, is like we are necessary. Um, like production gets downplayed quite a bit, where it's like, oh, you're just taskmasters, or you're just there to like make sure people do their jobs, and it's not like a real thing. But yeah, the the thing is, is like we as like humans are not good at, at self-managing and also doing like our, our individual thing um, at the same time. And it makes us necessary um, because that is a whole other like skill and subset of skills in your brain that you need to have. Um, and so I, what I, what I encourage is like looking at your team and the problems that they're, fa they're facing, uh, what they need from a very, very like core human element. Like what, what is it that they, they struggle with? Like what is impeding their success? Why are they missing deadlines? Like what makes their their day-to-day -day work difficult? And then starting from there uh, as a problem solver and a facilitator in any way. Um, and there's a bunch of other like normal, <laughs> normal like daily things that you have to do as a producer um, that just don't fall under like 
the designer's uh, uh, responsibilities. But um, in terms of like looking at problems, it's understanding what uh, like the team you're working on, the project that you're working on, um, how what kind of project management methodology is going to aid them most? What kind of workflow do they thrive in? And so a couple of different ways, which is like, is everything staggered waterfall style where you have to start from the, you know, art, art is a good example for this one, where you, you start with a concept and you finish the concept and then you move, you move through the pipeline uh, eventually into like a 3D model um, and like rigging and everything like that. But you wouldn't put that through a like super iterative, um, agile cycle where you make a full character and then you're like, nah, this doesn't work. Let's just do it again. Like that's so much time wasted. Um, so being able to analyze uh, your different teams and the people you work with and identifying like what uh, makes them successful in any way. And like for a lot of it, it's, it's uh, making sure you don't waste their energy and their time because it's precious. Uh, that's, that's the number one skill. So I, yeah, normally like I would be like, all right, learn, learn, learn like how to use a Kanban board and, and different tools and stuff like that. But I think fundamentally it comes from analyzing your, uh, your team <laughs> and what they need to do. And then uh, like finessing everything about your work style to them specifically. What is a Kanban board? <laughs> it's a, I think, I think it's very cool. Um, it's a pretty simple way to organize work. So basically what it is, is you start off with a backlog of tasks that you know you need to do. And then at the very beginning of a sprint, um, which is a dedicated amount of time to do work, and it's usually two to four weeks, um, or it can be shorter as well, but I've seen two to four weeks. Um, I will say two weeks is pretty uh, a good sweet, <laughs> yeah, a sweet spot, sweet spot. Um, it can be a little fast for for game development, but like that idea comes from software development, um, where it is you know I think there are in a lot a lot of software there are less complexities that they have to deal with when it comes compared to making a game. Um, but uh, you so you start off with a, a backlog of, of things that you know you need to do as a team, and then you pull those items over into a like all right going to start work column basically. And that's the stuff you're going to commute, uh, commit to for your, your sprint, your upcoming sprint. Um, and then as work is started, you pull that into in progress. Um, it might get uh, uh, pulled into another column that says blocked. And so that's either they don't need, they don't have the thing they need or they're waiting on like sign off on something um, and then finally complete. Uh, and so it's just, it's just a, a board. It can be physical. There are a lot of, of digital ones like online uh, that you can use. Um, and it's, it's a variety of columns uh, to describe the status of your work and uh, visualize where it is. And then at the very end, you're, you sign off for release and those things get put into that release or that sprint. We will not be implementing one of those. Yay! Because that blocked <laughs> yeah. column will be waiting on Jay. Waiting on Jay. That's, funny. <laughs> That's not going to happen. Yeah, but Andy, we've got, we've got like a a bunch of questions. Yeah, we're gonna we got all the hard questions for you, Leslie. Uh, okay. Here we go. First one. Oh wait, that is the Mega Grants one. That's one we're not gonna answer. We're not gonna answer right now. So from Sebastian Galvez on YouTube, for someone without things like college experience, I'm a self-taught artist currently working freelance. 
What's a good way to gain experience that can be leveraged into entry-level producer roles? How, why would you want to go from an artist to a producer? <laughs> what are you thinking? That's just crazy talk. That is just crazy, crazy talk. Right? I, I, do, I, I do, yeah. I, I do think that, like, if 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 you do like art, <laughs> um, uh, art producers are a huge thing. Um, and if you have any sort of uh, experience about, I don't know, working with clients or anything like that. Um, that's valuable to have because like, that's something you have to do is communicate uh, deadlines and set expectations with the people who are, are hiring you. Um, and I, I think being able to even talk about how you organize your work, like how do you, or how do you organize your, your, um, your input and output, um, like the incoming requests and everything like that. Uh, that's, that's a great way to talk about, you know, if you want to go into production, talk about how you actually have those skills. Um, and so I don't know. Like I, I, I think like you could you could probably easily go into a art like production role. Um, it's it's a huge need, especially as more and more. Uh, I've I found that more and more art producer roles are focused on outsourcing and managing those pipelines. Um, and so they'll use, uh, especially with like uh, art houses that are not uh, nearby, and so in completely different time zones as well. Um, and so being able to to speak to like what. What would work best um, for any any sort of art asset? Uh, I don't know what kind of art you do, but um, that's that's super valuable information to share. And being able to talk about that, like on your resume, of um, you know, here's what it means to have like a successful relationship with somebody who is trying to to get your art <laughs> and then delivering it to them in a way that uh, makes the client happy. That's valuable. All right, you want me to do the next question here? Yeah, yeah just go through. We'll, we'll, All right, we'll just. Your questions are far go. more important and entertaining than my questions. So, yeah. Was... All right, so Nathan, Nathan Clinell, Clinelli, I like that name. That's cool. Um, fairly new producer here. I'd like to get a backlog set up in our task tracker, but I'm getting overwhelmed by the amount of work. I would too, man. It would make me want to not come to work any <laughs> strategies for long-term planning i i have like respect producers big time because i i have problem enough just like putting things in my google calendar right <laughs> um yeah i know i get overwhelmed with this too um and it does take a bit of upfront work i find and so the easiest way to probably do it is to organize your um your tasks into epics first and so like you know you have as an example, let's say it's a character. A character can be an epic. And then you can break that character down into different uh, uh, subtasks um, or into tasks and then also sub subtasks. And so I would say, uh, you don't. I don't know if you necessarily have to define all that work up front um, if you don't plan on working on, say, that character immediately. Uh, but as, as it's about time to start work on that that character as an example, then you start doing preliminary breakdown of work um, and estimation of, of time for each of those components. Um, but I, I would I would start with the big chunks, <laughs> like start with the big things that you know you have to deliver, um, prioritize those and like what, what uh, upfront work you have to do with those um, and then start breaking it down to pull them into say, if it's a Kanban um, or into your, your sprint uh, planning, that's the way to do it. But like, I yeah, you have to start big um, otherwise, you try trying to list off everything you're going to have to do from the get-go is super overwhelming. Uh, it's a bad time. Um, would not recommend. 
and you're going to forget. You're going to forget things. And so if you can capture all the stuff into to larger chunks of work, uh, that's that's more effective, in my opinion. That, you know what? That could be part of one of some of your next videos is would not recommend. So you could like show something and be like, would not recommend, throw it in the trash. And then you do something, <laughs> would not recommend and throw it in the trash. That's funny. Oh, we got Junie. Junie. Hi, Junie. Um, earlier, you mentioned producers needing to take ownership to support the team. Similarly, it's equally vital for the team to feel ownership for their work. How do you support this in your team? Fire people. Oh, wait, Bam! Fire people. <laughs> always the deep questions. Junie's always got the deep, deep questions. Um, yeah. So this is uh, the way I've seen it play out successfully is being able to uh, communicate what the need is for, say, a specific task, and then be like, "Go, go ham, <laughs> do what you want." Um, and then when it when it's delivered, it like so, and then support their vision. Let's say you're working with an artist or designer is support their vision. Um, and if you're getting into review sessions with stakeholders or anybody who is giving feedback, back them up <laughs> as the producer, like absolutely back them up um, and try not to insert yourself too much, uh, unless that's your job. Like, you know, there, there are times where it's appropriate for a producer to like weigh in uh, with feedback and give opinions. Um, in my current position as design producer, that's not like on my job description. But because I, I have that background of design as well, um, it's been said <laughs> verbally that like, I'm welcome to provide feedback if I want. But I, I generally try to stay out of that because I don't see that as my primary role unless we're doing something like egregious. Um, but uh, other than that, it's once that your, your team's work has been done and um, it's either live or it's in a good state for review, uh, let, let them present it, like let them talk about it. Um, and give them kudos. And so, uh, for example, like we do all hands every Friday and uh, give credits to anybody who's worked on a piece of content. Um, and yeah, a producer might be mentioned, but uh, for the most part, like the spotlight is on the people who actually like handcrafted that thing. Um, and uh, it's, it's uh, yeah, I think a lot of it is just communicating and making sure that they get the spotlight um, and uh, supporting them if they do have an idea and making sure that idea is heard by like the right people to make sure it actually happens. You know, that whole thing that you just said is like, you don't really give feedback unless it's egregious. That means that you're like the garbage detector, right? <laughs> so people show their work and then everyone looks over to see if Leslie's gonna like change her <laughs> facial expression or anything, right? Because if she says anything, you know, it's crap, right? So that's like, that's the highest power in the whole thing right there. Everyone just looks over at Leslie. Okay, whew, now let's get actually other people's feedback on this. It, it does It does feel nice though, because uh, like my current team knows that I, I have done like narrative design and writing um, where they'll be like, you want to go take a look at it? And I'm like, yeah, thank you. Um, doesn't mean I'll actually give them notes because I'll get caught up in something else, but, um, it's, you very know, it's good sweet. if she doesn't say anything, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, that looks great. <laughs> and then, uh, like no. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like sitting there, watch, they're just looking at your face. You're all <laughs> It's it's fine. It's fine. Uh, it's fine. <laughs> All right. So let's uh, get this question here from, I don't know how to pronounce that. Um, I've entered the game industry since three years ago. I've tried different roles. And finally, I found I have a talent to become a great producer. Not just a producer, but a great one. Yes. 
that is some insight for sure. I mean, that's awesome, really. Um, but I don't have any experience for that. How can I enter this role? And what do I need to learn to develop and put in my CV to be able to get a job for this? Basically, that's what I'm getting from it. Yeah. Um, this is a, it really does depend on like what you're currently doing in, in the industry. Um, but I would say as like a blank, a blanket statement, um, is try to identify a producer at your studio or another studio, um, and, um, get some mentorship from them. Uh, I think that's, that's probably the, especially if it's within your own studio, that's the fastest and easiest way to make that transition is like reaching out. It shows you're proactive which is very cool. People love to see that. Um, and be like, I want to learn what you do and how like what I do currently can lend itself to that. Or like we can meet in the middle between our two departments um, or our disciplines and, and make this process overall process better. Um, and so that's, I, I, I think that's probably the easiest way. Um, I'm trying to think from like personal experience, how I've seen people uh, make that transition. Um, and a lot of the time is, is like yeah getting involved in other other things within work i i don't want to advocate for being like you gotta you gotta put in overtime and like do a bunch of things that you're not like supposed to supposed to be doing um but if there's something you're passionate about in terms of like you know again program management or anything like that getting involved in in uh other people's stuff uh it might be a good opportunity for you to like flex those production muscles and then being able to make that case one thing do not start padding your resume or lying about it because we will find out and that's <laughs> going to absolutely destroy any chance you have of ever being taken seriously again yeah because then you'll just be considered oh this is that dude that lied on his cv uh -huh. and the game industry even though it's big it's small it's very small it's scary <laughs> right all right, because after you start working in the industry for a while, you'll at least know one person in almost every studio, at the very least, right? Mm -hmm. uh, yep. Okay, here's another question from Junie. Bring in the hard stuff. Do you do one-on-ones with your team? And if so, how often, in what format, and about what kind of topics? Yes, I do. Um, even though I'm not their uh, people manager, like I, I'm not the one uh, assigning their paychecks, um, but I will do one-on-ones with uh, um people I work, I like directly producer manage. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I usually start them off uh, every other week. Um, and uh, every once in a while, if, if work is getting a little crazy, we'll, we'll push it out to every three weeks. Um, but I, I try to do it frequently, especially now that we're working from home, because like, I don't, like, I don't have the opportunity to, to get to see their day-to-day -day interactions with other people. Um, and so I try to check in and I make sure that they know that I'm available for any check-in and hop on a call at any, any point in time as well. Um, and I'm, I'm usually in meetings with them all day. So there is like, there are plenty of opportunities to, to talk about stuff if, if there, something needs to come up. Um, but that's, that's usually the cadence. Uh, so it's, it's right now we'll, we'll do just Zoom calls. Sometimes I will have a, well, I have a list. Okay. I have an Excel sheet of uh or a google sheet of everybody i have one-on-ones with and then i have topics that's how i keep track of, of what things i need to talk about and so a lot of times it's just a very brief like oh you know how is how is this particular um particular uh uh task going um has there been any problems with it how are you feeling about it um how are you feeling about your overall like bandwidth and workload and everything like that um 
and then and then it'll be more of a free for all. Uh, sometimes they'll have things that they want to ask me specifically, but uh, a lot of it is just kind of like an open discussion of how they're feeling, um, things that they've run into, uh, any conflicts that they're running into with another team or another individual. Um, and then I will make it uh, an effort to be like, okay, here are my action items for that specific thing. Um, and then uh, just go from there. Sounds like you got to be a counselor too. A little bit. Uh, and sometimes I, I will refuse to do it. Um, <laughs> there have definitely yep. been times. Nope. <laughs> yeah, there's, there have definitely been times where uh, I have been like explicitly given the option of like, okay, there are two ways you can go about this, Leslie. You can either be their therapist or not. And I'm like, nah, I'm, no, I'm good. <laughs> like, but they can pay someone else for that. Um, but uh, I, I think that is like a very uh, hard thing you need to like, that's a boundary you have to set for yourself, uh, especially depending on your relationship with the team where uh, it can be draining to, to be the person like you, if you hear all the problems all the time, or, you know, you're, it's on you for whatever reason to, to uh, solve like personnel issues and personality issues among the team um at, at a certain point especially if like you're not their people manager there's gotta, a pay raise in there for in. sure yeah exactly there's gotta be a pay raise in that <laughs> also i'll totally uh solve all these problems if i i get a a, a nice promotion and a pay bump <laughs> mm -hmm. but see but on a small team you don't really have that option it's like no. you you have to be part guidance counselor part mm -hmm. task mini hats yeah, uh, it, it is. It, it's really tough. You got to be the person that brings down the hammer. Yeah, the yeah, yeah. I, I think it's a, a huge tool that like doesn't get talked about a lot, uh, especially in in um, when you look at job descriptions for producers or anything like that. Is uh, empathy, and that's one thing that uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm not a producer. Anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, that's that's a huge thing that I, I think people who are going into production need to think about and try to. Uh, strengthen that that muscle because a lot of the time, like even in my case where, you know, there, there's been a situation where I'm just like, I'm not going to be the therapist. But like, I understand where they're coming from. And I'm interested in solving this issue by having you talk to the right people or like, you know, you solve it in this way. And so like on smaller teams where you don't have that kind of option where you can't, you can't pass it to somebody who might be more qualified to actually handle it. Um, empathy is going to become like it's going to be the most critical skill to have. Um, you have to understand where they're coming from. You have to be able to dig into like what's actually bothering them. Um, like, is it is it just the project or is it something else going on? Um, and then trying to figure out what would make their lives better while they're at work. So when you, if you don't want to talk about it, you go like, this is not a topic in my Google sheet that I have. <laughs> I'm sorry. You know. So, I mean, this is interesting. So if you had to write your own, you know, job listing for a producer, mm -hmm. what would the, the sub jobs be? You know, mm -hmm. I am the task manager. I am the house mom. I am the, you know, because yeah. there are so many aspects of this. What would you put in there as if you, you have to describe the job as nothing but a compilation of other jobs? Um, I would say facilitator. Um, that is uh, so vague. Come uh, on, give us sorry, something okay, deeper okay, than okay, that. Okay, okay, that okay, is right, so, okay. so vague. Okay. You're um, not going to get off that easy. Uh, all right. Um, <laughs> let's see. A, like a conversation facilitator or a meeting facilitator. So, somebody who like a runs. Mediator? 
yeah, like runs a lot of meetings and and makes sure that they stay on track. I think that's that's one um, because if they if you don't have somebody like keeping track of that, like a lot of discussions, especially like I mean, video games are very creative right. like medium. Um, they can just go whoosh, like immediately, and you now you just wasted like thirty the three minutes to an hour of everybody's time because no yeah, one and was. If there's keeping... eight people. That's four hours, right? Yeah, that's... yeah, exactly. That's that's expensive. <laughs> um, and so I would say that's one. Um, I do think some element of being, I, like, I hate to say a parental unit. Uh, but it, it's something along oh, that yeah. I I know I know there's a better there is a better descriptor because I I also like I've been called den mother before and I'm like I don't know if I like that um, <laughs> but it's it's like the concept of being like the adult in the room um, especially because like there are so many people all the people you, it's true like all the people that you're working with are like really excited about what they're working on and they're passionate and like that it's very easy to get caught up in your own stuff and your own ideas and so you need somebody to like pull you back. And be like, okay, like person A, but have you considered person B's like the things that they're working with and like what they need? And like it's it's really hard. <laughs> and like I, I have not always done like the best job of it, but like that is that is that is my that is my job uh, to try to be able to like take a step back and look at and things. You got to be able to do things. that. You got to be able to like put a kibosh on that without like squishing people's passion. Yeah, absolutely. That's got to be rough. It's very sensitive. You That's why to... I respect producers so much. That's um, one of the reasons. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of um uh like like you know feeling management, which is just it's just empathy again too, right? And so it's being able to identify when like um a conversation was kind of hard or like the discussion went the way no one anticipated, and like you reaching out to them and being like, hey, like how how are you feeling about that that conversation? Like it seemed a little like tense. I want to make sure that you're you're feeling okay about it. Like what can I do to help? help the situation um and that's that's like a learned thing that you have to pick up on too what's funny is i, I know somebody a, a game that i worked on years ago he was a producer and then all of a sudden he wasn't a producer anymore i guess he got another career which was like less stress and more fun he now he's a tax guy oh, oh. okay <laughs> interesting <laughs> yeah. i don't know actually i don't know if he was a tax guy before or not but i just think it's a good story right he went from yeah. being a producer to a tax guy i mean <laughs> I hate taxes even more, right? <laughs> so, so we've got meeting facilitator, um, yeah, yep. and, and parent. Parent, um, you, you heard it here. Leslie said everybody that works for her is a child. So <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So those two, and then uh, taskmaster of some sort. So being able to um, um, keep track of the day to day, um, as well as. How do I want to phrase it in terms of another job? Um, like a like a spotter, and so somebody who can look further down the line and see what's coming up and what might be problems. That's a great one, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Got to anticipate issues. Yeah, exactly. Or anticipate could be's and maybe's and all of that stuff. Yeah, I I think like it's it's again you know it's the same. The same reason why um like empathy is a huge requirement is that like everybody on the team cares about their thing and the thing that they're working on right now and some of them like with experience or i guess you know just like innate talent will be able to look at things down the road too but i think it is the producer's job to be able to be like okay in six months we will need this and here are the steps that we like the, the steps we need to take to make sure 
that we actually are able to do that or that thing was going to be successful. Like here are the milestones that we have to put in place up leading up to that point. Um, and uh, do that for the team because no one else is going to think about and it. And then you got to check everyone's emotions and see where they're at, right? Because yeah. like they may not be able to handle it, or maybe they could, or what. And then you, oh, geez, I'm so sorry. <laughs> crying in baseball. That's the so sorry. <laughs> that, I love that spotter analogy because mm -hmm. you know, one, growing up in the in the south of the U.S. and particularly in North Carolina, NASCAR is everywhere. And if you watch a NASCAR race, every driver has a spotter. And sometimes mm -hmm. most of them on top of the press boxes of everything yeah. else. And they're responsible for telling them, okay, there's a car beside you, don't move up. Or you know, and then at the same time, you've got you know your military spotter, like the sniper spotter. And so yes. both of those work because it's like, okay, here's your target from the sniper point of view. This is how far away it is, and you have to hit it now. And then on the auto racing side, you've got the don't cause a wreck by going up the track right now. And yeah, that's right around the corner, right? Absolutely, you know. you know, a wonderful analogy. All right, so we are technically at our time. So we're going to, if you've got any last minute questions that you want to pop in the chat, do it. We'll get them answered. I'm going to toss Leslie a couple other of these that she can munch on in the meantime. Um, trying to think, I've got like several here. Which one do I want to go? What are some of the main things that you see go wrong that publishers, publishers, that producers need to plan for? Um, a lot of it is uh, not being able to anticipate. Uh, it's, a, it's a spotter thing too, where if you, if a producer has not done their homework in terms of what is coming down the line or what they will have to account for in the future, that leads to disaster. And so a lot of what I think our job is, especially if you're, if, if this is either like a new game or a uh, an area that you are not as familiar with before, or you know something you've you haven't worked in before. Um, it's their job to ask a million questions and figure out what's important so that they can figure it out and not at the last minute. Um, it's when there are a lot of unexpected things that come down the pipe, or they're like, "Oh, I didn't know." Um, that's that that ruins people. It is literally your job to know <laughs> yeah. and, i mean it, it's it's hard to balance too because i feel like you don't know what you don't know um but i i think like one of the skills that you have to develop is trying to exhaust what you don't know um to make sure that you have as you've done your due diligence uh, right you're, you're trying to to, to see ya as much as possible um and uh basically documenting all of that sending it out and being like did i miss anything like is there anything else like please like check me um and without doing that then yeah it can it can be bad that's right judy's got another question too uh here we go uh how would you describe your studio culture and what role do you feel the producer plays in fostering it um so my current studio is very producer heavy um we're i think I, I would describe it as like simultaneously production and design driven um which is nice for me as a design producer um but uh uh yeah production plays a huge part in it um in terms of we like are committed to a certain number of releases a year um we are trying to plan ahead of what goes in each release uh production basically runs the the, the checklist of things are going to get in each release, obviously with input from from everybody else, but that's that's kind of where the 
the list of things that are going to go into our next patch and starts. Um, and uh, we, everybody else can gets to negotiate with us. Um, I, I do think that we're we're like uh, I'm not going to say like bad things about our studio, um, but we are pretty nice about um, making sure that people are not completely stretched thin. Um, there are obviously like some things that we we like milestones we have to hit and uh, numbers we would like to hit as well uh, as a live game, like a live mobile game. But um, it's we, we try to be accommodating for engineering time, um, art time, designers time, and uh, especially like QA as well, because that's a, that's a huge part of our process. And so I don't know if that, that answers your question, but uh, I do think that production at my particular studio um, currently plays a huge role in, in fostering our, our culture, which is pretty good, <laughs> like generally pretty good. Um, yeah, I, I do think like work from home has made it, uh, it's made it difficult for me to like totally understand the studio culture. Like I came onto this team when we were already working from home. And so I've never met any of these people. Uh, and it's, it's weird. It's, it's, that's a little weird, but, um, yeah, everything's been positive for me and, uh, yeah, we have a very heavy production presence. Leslie, thank you so much for coming on and doing this. And, well, thank you. Keep, please keep up the you know cringeworthy yet <laughs> yes and realistic you know, work that you're doing on, on TikTok and Twitter. Um, and, and Leslie's on our our Discord server. Hopefully, she'll stick around for a little bit. So, if y'all have questions, you can find her under the you know, guest of the show column. I, I got one more question. Where did okay. you come up? Where did, oh. In your last TikTok video, where did you come up with the name Sloan for the girl? Oh, okay. So um, that that particular like uh trend or meme that i've seen on on tiktok uh have has always referred to that kind of a video as like oh if uh x y and z was ending the 2000s movie and so i started there but then when i started adding in like the montages at the end of like oh brad went on to go be game director at a triple a studio i was like "Ah, this kind of feels very 80s. Like, this is a very, like, John Hughes kind of thing. Yes. And so then I was just like, what are the names going to be? And I'm like, All right, Sloan. Sloan's a pretty good, like, 80s and 90s name. And so I was trying Sloan. to do, like, <laughs> I was trying to do, like, a, a mishmash of those, like, three different eras uh, into that kind of video. Um, I was thinking about uh, Ferris Bueller's girlfriend. I think that I think her name is Sloan. Oh, that's funny. Um, I mean, that's I was, funny because I was showing that to my wife, and she goes, that, "She looks like she's from the '70s." <laughs> no. Okay, so it's funny that you said that it was the '80s. But yeah. I, I, I almost, Josh, I almost broke my promise and forgot your question. Um, I said, "Hello, I'm a game dev from Canada, and I have a question. I'm trying to make a fighting game in Unreal Engine Four. However, I have sought funding from Epic Mega Grants and the Canadian Media Fund, and both have failed. What's the best way to get my games alpha funded? That is an extremely tough." question because that's the one that every single body answers the good news is you're already on the right track i mean you can reapply to both of those you know funds anyway i know since you do live in our wonderful great white neighbor to the north if you failed at the cmf look at your provincial options because there every province in canada has their own group of uh, funds that are available for various different things the it's not getting your getting your alpha funded is never easy. I mean, and if you don't have the money saved up or you're not doing friends and family, uh, I mean, 
you're not don't want to try Kickstarter unless you already have a lot of community built up already. Because as Anya likes to point out, you know, only thirty percent of that money is going to come from people you don't already know. Um, but it's one of those things that you need to start building that community. You can't really start pitching it to publishers until you have a demo, which puts you in that wonderful catch twenty two of I need a demo to pitch it to publishers, but I need a publisher or some kind of funding to make a demo. There's not an easy answer. Um, I would highly recommend, though, I mean, you are in a wonderful country for doing it because God knows the Canadian government loves handing out money. And so if you got rejected from the CMF, don't feel bad. Tons of people do get rejected from the CMF, but also check into your whatever province, province you're in, check in there. Um, and then it, it's a lot of, of really just saving up and, and trying to work through it there's no easy answer i wish there was that's the great white north how's it going eh? on that that depressing answer note let's um all right so leslie yes because keep keep up the great work if god knows if you run out of ideas we can absolutely fill you full (laughs) um thank you but yeah, and, and and we'll talk soon. Everybody else, thanks for hanging out. Dan, play us yeah. out. Bro. Thank you guys so much for joining us for Indie Game Business. Make sure and join the Discord at discord.gg slash Indie Game Business. And if you want to like check out the other streams, or we got it, we're on Twitch, we're on YouTube, we're on Twitter, Facebook. Check it out. Just just look for Indie Game Business. And we will see you next week. Have a great uh have a great weekend. I'm going to the dump. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at IndieGame.Business.